couple of minutes together with you looking at the Bible and talking about forgiving. Uh, and my suspicion is that when I say forgiving or when I say forgiveness, there's some specific situation that comes to your mind. It bubbles up to the surface, either of a time that you needed to forgive somebody else or a time when somebody else needed to forgive you. Because I suspect that we have been on both sides of that situation. Um, but today we're going to look at a, a, a passage of scripture in Matthew 18 that Jesus deals very particularly with forgiveness and forgiving. And, but I want to just make you aware that he's talking about general principles of forgiveness. And then he's going to, and then he's going to move to specific situations. So when I say forgiveness, you're going to have a very specific situation that you want to know how to, how to deal with. Jesus is going to start with general principles. And then we're going to have to lean on God's wisdom to know how to apply those general principles into specific situations. And the other thing that's going to happen this morning, and if you're like me, you're going to be frustrated with this, but I'm going to ask you to bear with me. We're going to start with the what of what to do with forgiving, and we're going to move to the why. So we're going to start with the what and move to the why. But if you're like me, that's really frustrating to you. You want to know the why before you know what the what is. And I was really tempted almost to, to look at these passages backwards, but I think it's going to be helpful for us to build and come to a, a conclusion or an understanding of what the big idea, build it as we go through. So we're going to be in Matthew chapter 18. I'm going to begin in verse 15 if you'd like to follow along with me, and I'd encourage you to do so. But before we do that, um, I'd like to ask you if you would please pray with me the disciples' prayer as we begin this journey of looking at forgiving. <clears throat> Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. So open with me, turn with me, navigate to Matthew chapter 18, and we will begin exploring these verses together in, in verse 15. Matthew 18 beginning in verse 15. It's very specific. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you've gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, then tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. I'm going to pause there. I know there's more verses, but I'm going to pause there because, honestly, these couple of verses could be a whole sermon by themselves. And I'm going to, to try and condense a lot of information and a lot of um, emotional things that are going to well up in us as we read these verses into something concise that, that we can process together. And another thing I'd like to point out is that we're still talking about forgiveness in the context of a faith community. And when we talk about a faith community, depending on your church experience, you might either have a really good experience with that or you could have a really poor experience with that. 
there, there have been times in the past where I've had an experience where church kind of is the survival of the fittest. Um, if, you, if you can be holier than thou, and if you can quote the right Bible verses, then you're going to get along with us. But as soon as you start to have questions or doubts, or um, you, you're not really sure how to do something, then you need to be put on the outskirts. There needs to be some kind of correction. But, but that's not Jesus' picture of a faith community. Jesus' picture of a faith community is a group of apprentices learning together. A group of apprentices learning together. We are disciples of Jesus. We don't have all the answers. And so sometimes we have questions. Sometimes we have doubts. Sometimes we're not sure how to live out a principle that the master has showed us. And so if that's the case, uh, we approach forgiveness and forgiving within the faith community in a little bit of a different way. It's not survival of the fittest, but it's a community of apprentices learning together. Um, so in the light of all of that, Jesus gives us steps to a resolution and steps to reconciliation, really. He says, look, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault. So the first, uh, the first step in reconciliation is if somebody sinned against you, you're going to have to go and talk to them about the thing that's going on. Um, and I'd like, to, <laughs> I'd like to ask you to consider something with me. We, we talked a lot about our defaults in our, last, in our last conversation. And what are our default settings when it comes to having opportunities to forgive? And our hearts are not tuned to forgiveness. That's not our first reaction in almost any situation. Uh, in fact, it's usually the opposite. We are, we're tuned to hold a grudge. But if we embrace forgiveness, uh, if we're going to embrace forgiveness, we're also embracing Jesus. Um, and our defaults are actually self-centered. All of our, and if everybody in the room has a default that says, I'm the center of the universe, then realistically we have a globe with... Um, a little bit less than 8 million mirrors. Everybody has a mirror pointed to themselves and everybody interprets the world as how it affects me. And if everybody in the room is having that thought about themselves, then there is nobody else in the room who is going to think about how their behavior impacts you as much as you. You're the only one with a mirror that's pointed on yourself with the default setting to look at you. Um, so... In, in, in the situation where somebody sinned against you, they may or may not actually know that you were hurt. And so it's, it's helpful for you to take a moment to, to collect your thoughts and to say like, okay, like I'm, the, I'm a person who, whose default settings is to look just at me. And so this person has sinned against me. I need to take a few moments and collect my thoughts and, and process through how would, I, how would I communicate to them the hurt that they've caused, whether, they, whether it's a big thing or not. And you may, in the process of thinking about this, realize, no, I'm really just being selfish about this. They didn't mean it, and I can just forgive them without having to go to them. But if, you, if in the process you say, no, 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 they really did forgive me, and I need, like, I need to say something about this, um, then understand that these people all have a mirror pointed to themselves the same way that you had a mirror pointed to yourself. And I would also like to add just a small caveat, that there may be situations where these general principles are true, but the specific application of how to apply the general principles is, is going to vary. And that's where we really have to depend on the leading of the Spirit and on God's wisdom that he's revealed in Proverbs and in other places in Scripture. In fact, this is not the only passage that talks about how to have reconciliation with one another and how to have forgiveness with each other. It's a, it's a really, really 
popular topic, and you're going to hear me cite a lot of different verses that speak into it. Um, but I would like to say this, that criminal offenses against you are still crime. We're talking about personal offenses, but not like if there has been a criminal offense against you, it's still a crime. And God has given the authority to governments to handle crimes for a reason. There are some things that need to be that should be and must take place first in the church. And there are some things that are just flat out crimes and need to be handled by the government. There's there is space for that. And I need you to be aware of that, that if you're looking at this and going, but the person like really like abused me or really um, offended me in a, in a way that's serious. Like crime is still crime and needs to be handled in this way. So the first step is to talk to them. The second step is to gather wise counselors and ask them to assist. So you've taken time to process and to think like, is this actually an offense? I need to go and talk to them. You've decided, yeah, it is. I went to them and they said, no, I don't, I don't need to, like, there's no need to be regular like this. You're just worked up for nothing. And they blow you off. Well, then go and talk to some wise counselors. Go and talk to some other people and say, hey, is, is this actually a thing I should be offended for? Is this a heart issue with me or is it a heart issue with them? I'm not sure. And they'll have a conversation with you about it. But then if they agree with you, yeah, this is a heart issue for this other person, then y'all can go together and have a conversation with them. Hey, it seems like you, you actually need to, to do some apologizing here or you need to make some reconciliation here. Um, and so bring other people with you, wise people. And so you've gathered your thoughts, you've vetted them with the person that has offended you, now you've vetted them with a couple of other trusted people, and, and now they've decided, yeah, this actually is a thing that needs to be reconciled. So step two is gather wise counselors and ask them to assist. Um, the second, or the third step is, uh, if you refuse to listen to them, then tell it to the church. And it, so... <laughs> I'd just like to point out that as, as we're looking at this, um, what Jesus means by church, the word he's using for church here, isn't the same thing that we understand church to be. Jesus is preaching at a time where the church hasn't yet been established. He, he was talking to a group of people that when they heard church, what they understood was an assembly, or they understood it to be one specific community of people that, that share the same faith family. It might just be people in the same neighborhood that, that are trying to follow and worship God well. <clears throat> It's, it's not that this thing needs to be made public and, and broadcast across Facebook. It's not the idea. It's saying, no, no, no. Take this to the people who are being affected by this. If, if so, because, because we all are part of a body, and sin in the body is going to affect every member. It's not like this, is, this conflict between these two people is going to cause problems, and so we just need to be public. We need to have an open conversation with the people who are affected by the issue. And, and to see if maybe this person who's, who's, who's causing this offense, who's causing this sin, will then be reconciled, all right? Because you see here, if he refuses to listen or to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, then let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. So he says, look, if, if they're not going to listen to the faith community about this offense, um, then maybe it, it's better to just regard them as somebody who's outside the faith community in the hopes that you might win them in. Change your understanding of how you're interacting with this person and try to, to be an effective witness of what an apprentice of Jesus looks like in this situation. But the goal of all of this is reconciliation. You don't go and we're trying to have a court system so somebody can decide who's right and wrong. We go because we want to all be working together as a body. We want to all be functioning well and encouraging one another and building one another up. 
And, and any sin that exists between us is going to hinder that. So here's the point. Here's Jesus' assumption. Jesus' assumption is that you're going to want to forgive. If we're going to follow Jesus, if we're going to be apprentices and disciples of Jesus, then Jesus makes us forgivers. Forgiveness is embedded in the idea of, of who it is, or what it means to follow Jesus. Jesus makes us forgivers. He gives you step-by-step step of how to, how to do this, and his Spirit's going to en enable you to have the hard conversations, to strengthen the body by having hard conversations. Jesus makes us forgivers. So I'd ask you this question. Who do we need to have a conversation with? Who do we need to start a conversation with? As I've talked about this, um, maybe you have better clarity about, um, uh, about a situation that's going on. Is there somebody that you need to go and start a conversation with? You need to, you've had time to process your thoughts or you've just been holding on to it and it's bubbling up and it's eating you inside and they may or may not even know that you're hurt. So who do you need to start? Who do we need to start a conversation with about forgiveness? <laughs> I'm not sure that that question leads itself well to, to having an open discussion, um, but, it, but it is a great place to start. Uh, as, as things are brought to mind, specifics, specific situations as we look at these general principles, um, let me just remind you what we talked about last week, that, 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 that we need to begin, forgiveness begins with humility. Jesus' lessons last week um, in Matthew 18, verses 1 through 9, is that we need to be open to correction. We need to have humility like a child. Forgiveness begins with humility. And it's the Father's heart, it's God's heart, to pursue and forgive all of his kids. He's paying special attention to us as his kids, as, as followers and apprentices of Jesus. Um, so... <laughs> It's, 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 it's a difficult question to ask, maybe, but, but the, the power to begin this series of reconciliation begins with you. Like, you have it. You can go and tell people how you feel. And, and it might be scary, but, but it seems like even implicit in, in the instructions are that, that it can make the relationship stronger. So Jesus makes us forgivers. Let's look at the next passage here, the, the, the last section, or the last couple of verses in that, in that section, in verse 18, chapter 18, verse 18 in Matthew. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. So, in, in light of all of this conflict, in light of all this situation, I want you to see that God is paying attention to the decisions that we make. The, the language here is legal. He's talking about contracts. The binding isn't necessarily like tying up somebody <laughs> and throwing them in the backseat of your trunk to drive off and, and make sure that they go swim with the fishes. It's not that kind of binding. Is binding in the sense of you've signed a legal contract. God is paying attention to the words that we speak to, to one another, particularly when we're in conflict. Um, God holds us to the vows that we make, and this is a consistent theme that happens throughout the Hebrew Scriptures, and we see that it's consistent also in the New Testament Scriptures. God pays attention to the commitments and the vows that we make, and, and he wants to hold us to him. These, these verses of whatever you bind on earth is going to be bound in heaven um, have already been talked about in, uh, I think it's Matthew 16, Matthew chapter 16, Jesus says that this is true of Peter.
here he's saying, this is true of all of the disciples, as the, the group of the disciples, as they make decisions about how to have reconciliation or how to treat one another, um, whatever it is that they decide on, whatever agreement that they decide on, God's going to hold them to that. It's, we don't make these decisions flippantly. We don't, we don't say, okay, we're going we're gonna to have these outcomes and then change our mind a little bit later. No, God, God really takes seriously the words that we say. Um, and this is just an importance of, of how the faith family works. Like just, just if God's paying attention to the way that we handle our conflicts, then just understand that the faith family, the church, the, the community that you belong to is really, really important. The local community, the people that you choose to walk with and follow Jesus with is, is, is vitally important. And in this era in particular, like you can have the best teaching from anybody across the nation or across the world. Um, and I encourage you to, 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 to do that, to learn from other people. But belonging to a local congregation is really important. The people that are going to be shoulder to shoulder with you and to know how to resolve conflicts between you and the person in the seat next to you is, is vital. It's, it's, it's utterly important. And there's a big, <laughs> there's a, a big kind of scary word for all of this process, and, it might, and you might have heard it before. It's called church discipline. Um, but that sounds a whole lot scarier. I think this process actually happens on a small scale over and over again. How many times have you been in a small group or some kind of a Bible study where somebody says something really boneheaded? Um, and maybe you don't say anything in, in the instant, in, in, in the group, but later on you go out and go to them afterwards and say, hey, you said this and I'm not sure that that was right and it wasn't, you didn't say that in kindness and this just wasn't, this just wasn't right. And they, oh, I, I wasn't even thinking about it that way. I was thinking about the other way. Um, and you guys have this conversation. See, that is technically, according to this process, that's technically church discipline. It, it isn't something that pastors do to the congregation to abuse them. This is something that church members do with each other. It happens a whole lot. Um, and God, God pays attention to that, not just the big things that get on news, but the small conflicts that get resolved between one another is important. Um, I don't, I could go into a lot of this. I would just say, I'm going to give you some links in the bottom of this video to, to some excellent sermons on church discipline um, by Mario down at Good News Church of Ocala. Um, he he's just recently has done a, a great series on this that I think is really helpful. If you are more interested in, in that conversation, I encourage you to listen to those as well. Supposed to look like, and I just, if, if you're not quite sold on this idea of forgiving one another, let me just point out something. This disciple's prayer, you may, you may have traditionally called it the Lord's Prayer. Um, I prefer to call it the disciple's prayer because it's the prayer that, the, that Jesus taught the disciples to pray. Um, you're familiar with these words, and they typically end with, with, with um, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever, um, which, is, which is the traditional ending. There's nothing wrong with it. We, we have prayed it regularly together. I think it's a great conclusion. It's consistent with that prayer, but that's not how the verses end. When Jesus is teaching his disciples to pray, he actually closes it in Matthew chapter 6, verses 7 through 15 in this way. If, 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 you, don't, if you choose not to forgive, then God may choose not to forgive you. That The way that we forgive other people actually affects how God interacts with us. This unforgiveness in our heart may not... Um, may not be, or this, 
This unforgiveness in our heart may, may prevent us from having a great or the best relationship we can with Jesus. In fact, it's almost a promise. <laughs> it's a strong word. Jesus makes us forgivers. So, so let me ask you this. Do we listen as intently to ourselves and the words that we're saying as God listens to us? Do we take as seriously our words as God takes our words? Do we listen as intently to ourselves as God listens to us? I'm not sure that um, we can necessarily give a, a, a clear answer to this. I think the, the answer is probably not. In fact, there are plenty of places in, in, in the, the book of James that talks about that we, we need to be very aware of how we speak and the things that we're teaching people. In fact, one of my favorite verses is in James chapter 1 and verse 19. It says, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Do we listen as intently to ourselves as God listens to us? Probably not, but we need to understand that God takes our words seriously, and he takes how we treat one another seriously, and he takes it as, as, as a way, to, as an indicator of where our heart is in relation to him. You might say, well, sure, Michael, I, I get all that. Like, Jesus makes us forgivers, but you don't know what that person did to me. You don't know what they said. You don't know how deeply they wounded me. And I remind you that crimes are crimes and need to be dealt in, in, in the way that crimes are dealt with. Um, but people, <laughs> but we may be really, really quick to say, well, the person who offended me doesn't deserve forgiveness. They don't deserve my forgiveness. And so we've, we've, we've looked closely at the what of what Jesus is asking us to do, but maybe we haven't quite looked so closely at the why. So Jesus tells kind of a long story a parable, a word picture of what this uh, what this sounds like. When we when we say to God, like, yeah, um, you know, God, I, I'm trying to follow you. I'm trying to walk with you. I'm trying to do the right thing. I want to be a good Christian. However, we might word that, um, but we say the person who offended me doesn't deserve forgiveness. He tells us a story of how that works, and it's it's the next thing, and it's kind of a long passage, but I'd like for us to read it together. <clears throat> so after he's teaching this. In, in Matthew 18, verse 21. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? <laughs> Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. And he tells this story in verse 23. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had in payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, Pay what you owe! So this fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me, I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants 
saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then this master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant! I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in his anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. So Peter comes and asks him this question, and it seems like a reasonable question. Um, the, tr the tradition at the time was that you, you were required to forgive somebody three times, but if they didn't, if they didn't like, for, if they kept continuing to sin, then you didn't have to forgive them after three times. Peter thinks he's leveled that up and is saying, hey, G Jesus, um, I hear what you're saying about forgiveness. It's real serious. We should do it. How about seven times? Should we forgive our brother seven times and, after, and at eight times? Then, then we don't have to forgive him anymore. And he says, uh, no, your math is wrong. Se not seven times, but 77 times. Uh, significantly more. Um, <laughs> he says, look, like if you're keeping track and on the 78th time you're going to not forgive, then you have missed the heart of what I'm trying to teach you. If you're keeping track of how many times you have forgiven, you're missing the heart of what I'm trying to communicate to you. And what I want you to understand is this. The kingdom of heaven is compared to a king with servants. And when the king wanted to settle, uh, settle offenses, he came to a guy who had, who, whose debt was 10,000 talents. So this is probably a pretty wealthy guy already to be able to accrue that much debt. Um, I don't know if you've noticed this about banks, but banks don't lend out a lot if you can't be trusted with a lot. If you don't have a lot, you can't get a lot. So this guy had a lot of money. He probably was really wealthy and kind of a higher status guy um, in order to be able to accrue this kind of debt. But the 10,000 talents doesn't mean anything to us. It could be as much, it could be $6 billion, the equivalent or rough equivalent of $6 billion, um, a huge amount of money. Uh, the, the biggest thing or the biggest equivalent that I've seen is, um, is up to a trillion dollars. So uh, just a mind-boggling amount of money that this servant owes to the king. There's no way he's ever going to be able to repay the debt. But he, but he begs and pleads and says, like, God, will you, or Lord, will you please forgive me? I will pay this back. And, and the king, out of pity, the master out of pity, released him and forgave him the debt. So this insurmountable amount of debt has been forgiven out of the, the kindness of the master, out of the kindness of the king. And so the guy goes out and says, hey, this guy, is a, this guy, this guy over here, I'm going to make back that money. I'm going to earn that forgiveness that the king gave me. I'm going to go out and this guy owes me like $12,000. Like I owed a trillion or I owed $6 billion dollars. But this guy owes me 12000 It's a lot of money. And so I'm going to, not only am I going to attack him and demand payment immediately, but when he doesn't pay or can't pay, I'm going to throw him in jail until he can pay it. And, and, and this person obviously doesn't deserve forgiveness. The point is, and, and when the king catches word of this, when the other servants of the king hear what's going on, they go to the king and say, look at what's happening. Like, this, this is unjust. This is not fair. And so the king, having heard it, delivers the previously, forgiven, the previously forgiven servant over to the jailers 
to be tortured. He gets sent to Alcatraz. He gets put in prison, the highest security. And there's no way he's ever going to be able to, to pay the debt now that he owes for, unfor, for his unforgiveness towards others. He's already, the, 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 the master, the king has already forgiven the insurmountable debt. But this servant, in thinking that he's going to earn back the money to be able to pay the debt, creates another debt that he's not going to be able to pay back by, by, being, by not extending forgiveness, by holding unforgiveness towards other people. He requires a debt that he acquires for himself, a debt that the king says is worth torture. He's in prison. And I don't know about you, but I've had, I've had enough imprisonment, whether in jail or in my own home, uh, for a lifetime. Ultimately, Jesus points us to our relationship with God. He says, if, 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 if your heart and your defaults are going to go there, but if your heart insists that the person that you need to forgive doesn't deserve your forgiveness, then you have misunderstood the forgiveness that you have taken, you have received from God. Jesus makes us forgivers as we see how we have been forgiven. Jesus makes us forgivers as we see how we have been forgiven. We have an insurmountable debt that's just called sin. <laughs> we inherited it from our father Adam, and, and we uh, are, are excellent at sinning. And Jesus comes and he lays down his own life and he says, I will forgive this, I will forgive this insurmountable debt that you could never in a million years pay back. I will make things right between you and the king. I'll take upon that cost upon myself. I will die for you. And the proof that that payment has been made is that I will be, be made alive again. I will come back from the dead. And I will give you that forgiveness freely. And, and for us to say, Jesus, I, I accept the forgiveness that you've given me for my debt, but this person who's offended me is not worthy of my forgiveness means that we have misunderstood the forgiveness that we've accepted. We, we, we have looked at ourselves and said, yeah, I'm worthy of forgiveness, but other people aren't. We have not understood that there is absolutely no way we could have ever been reconciled to God had God not forgiven our debt. Jesus makes us forgivers as we see how we have been forgiven. So I just encourage you not to dismiss your sin, not to say, well, I sinned, but Jesus forgives me, and I've got a blank slate to continue to sin, or, or I can just say, like, yeah, Jesus forgave me a long time ago. I don't need to worry about this so much. Don't dismiss sin. Feel the full weight of what Jesus bore on the cross. But understand that Jesus has fully forgiven that. And if, you if you've trusted Jesus, like, feel the weight of the sin. Like, understand that, yes, your sin was worthy of condemnation. But understand that Jesus has fully forgiven it. He didn't just dismiss it. He didn't just write it off. He took it upon himself so that it could be paid for, so that it could be forgiven. Jesus has forgiven our sins, a great debt that we could never pay. Know that Jesus has borne it and worship him because of it. Jesus makes us forgivers when we see how we have been forgiven. I'm not afraid to see sin in my own heart because I know Jesus has forgiven it. 
afraid to, to call sin, sin. Because I know that I can turn that over, that Jesus has taken it upon himself. And my gratitude to him for seeing that picture more and more clearly leads me to worship him. But let me just highlight, as we close here, let me just highlight one small role of the other servants in this parable. the, The king is settling debts with a lot of servants. And, and I wonder if this one servant who, ha, who was unforgiving uh, wasn't the only one who had been forgiven a debt that they couldn't pay. And when the other servants see this unforgiveness in their, in their fellow servant, they say, this is not right. There's, there's a role for these other servants. Forgiveness isn't just a personal preference. It affects the whole body. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul says that we're all a body, and if, if my finger hurts, then, then the other parts of my body are not going to work. If my back hurts, then the other parts of my body are not going to work well. Sin in the body affects the whole body. Part, conflict in one part of the body affects the rest of the body. If, I, if my foot is hurting, I'm not going to be able to walk, and that's going to affect uh, how I get across the kitchen to be able to eat food. Like it's going to matter. Sin in the body matters. It's not just a personal preference. And forgiveness. Forgiveness and reconciliation is a mark of the community of Jesus' disciples. Jesus says in John 13, specifically in, in 35, says, everybody around you is going to know that you're my disciples by your love for one another. Your love for one another is going to be a hallmark that you are apprentices of Jesus. And so as we talked about this, I, I just feel like we need to ask a question. Who might we need to encourage to start a conversation of reconciliation? Who might we, as a body, need to encourage to start a conversation about an offense against them? If someone comes to you and they're complaining about conflict within the church, like the, the encouragement is to encourage them to deal with the problem because it matters. And I'm not... I'm not trying to get people all up in your business, but I am trying to say that the responsibility for reconciliation in the body is not dependent on necessar- is not solely dependent on the leadership. It's dependent on how well we forgive one another. We, the, the kind of body that we are, is shaped and determined by how you choose to forgive. And our reputation in our neighborhoods and our reputation in the community is how you choose to forgive. So who might we need to encourage to start a conversation? Because Jesus makes us forgivers as we see 